I appreciate that introduction. I had a couple of different things on my mind to try to preach to you about this morning. It was a bit of a quandary about where uh, to go. I didn't know for sure if Brother McNeil would share the time with me this morning or not. Brother Tim had asked him to, but I didn't know if he would be able to be here. But that introduction did cement in my mind what I should try to bring to you. I'd like to read to you this morning, excuse me, from 2 Kings chapter 4. Speaking of the spiritual food that Brother McNeil was talking about and how blessed we are if we do hunger and thirst after righteousness, it is a sign to us that we have something going on inside us more than just the natural man, more than just the flesh, that we have the Spirit of God helping to give us some desires for good things. How do we feel that desire? Well, one way is in the Word of God. Another way is in the fellowship of the saints. Another way is coming into the Lord's house and worshiping Him and being filled with His Spirit. The Spirit of God is always with us. When we're born again, the Spirit of God comes into our hearts sovereignly by the grace of God. I don't believe it ever leaves in that sense. You know, we're eternally saved by the Spirit of God. But there is a sense in which we experience the Spirit more at some times than we do at other times. And a lot of that would have to do with how hungry are we? Are we full of the world when we come into the house of the Lord? Are we emptied of the world and asking the Lord to fill us up? In 2 Kings, the fourth chapter, we read an account of a prophet who died and left behind a widow and two sons. And times are hard. Things are lean. They don't have enough to eat. They don't, they don't have enough money to pay their debts. And they come to Elisha, who's the Lord's, you might say, kind of main prophet at this time, so far as we know, in the northern kingdom of Israel. And she asked him for some help. In verse 1, Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant my husband is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. And the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. In other words, my husband, who was one of the prophets, has died. He was a good man, but he left debts. And a creditor is coming to sell my sons into some sort of slavery to pay off those debts. Now, this creditor is probably not from the nation of Israel, or if he is, he's not following the Jewish law. Because the law said, and you can read about it, we won't turn there today, that you were not supposed to take a fellow Israelite into bondage in that way. You were not supposed to sell them into slavery. You could take them in your home as a paid servant, but you had to treat them right. So this is probably a creditor from outside the nation of Israel or is an unscrupulous person. In other words, it's someone who's not one of them. And he's going to come and sell her sons to pay this debt. And she is asking for relief. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. Then he said, Go borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels. Borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour it into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. You might say, well, that is a very interesting story of God's providence, Brother Neil. We know that it happened back then. But what does it have to do with us and us being hungry for the Lord today? This is one of these passages of Scripture, I believe, that's 
you might say a type, a shadow, or a picture of things to come. And I would suggest to you that in a way it is a picture of the Lord's church. Here we have a lady who is a wife of one of the prophets. He dies. He goes on to heaven to his reward. And he leaves her some things. He leaves her a house. He leaves her two sons. He leaves her a pot of oil in that house. And a great need comes on. They're, they're about, those sons are about to be sold into bondage. No doubt things are very desperate. They have a, what is obviously a small pot of oil because if it were a large pot of oil, she could just go sell it and pay their debts. It's a small pot, but it's in the house. And she's in great need. And so Elisha says to her, go to the house, the house that your husband left you, get that pot of oil that he left you, and y'all bring in empty vessels, shut the door, and you and your two sons begin to pour out that oil into those vessels, and you wait and see what happens. How is that like the church today? Well, we are the bride of Christ, are we not? Where is our spiritual husband today? Now, he's here in spirit, but bodily, where is he? He's on the right hand of the majesty on high, right? He's gone to heaven. He's died. He was buried. He's resurrected. He's in heaven. But he's left us some things. Now, this world, there's a lot of famine out there. There's a lot of hunger out there for spiritual things. But the Lord's left us a house. And you're sitting in it today. And, and the house of the Lord Jesus Christ is not just this one place. It is wherever His people are meeting. But we have a house that is left to us by our spiritual husband when he ascended back to heaven. And when we are hungry, spiritually speaking, like Brother McNeil shared with us, when we hunger for those spiritual things, and we're looking and we say, Lord, help me, where do I go? I believe what the Lord would say to you is go to the house that I left you. Bring the vessels in that are emptied of the world. That need to be filled. And I have left you something there by which those vessels can be filled. So when we come into the house of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shut the doors, we shut the world out, we're gathered together. The Lord said that over in Matthew, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there in the midst. And we begin to experience the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and those vessels are filled up. We are given some sustenance one more time to take us through another week until we come back into that house again and we shut those doors again and we shut out the world again and we beg God again, Lord, fill up our vessels. In that introduction, he said, are we full of the things of the world? Or are we emptied of the things of the world, ready to be filled with the things of the Spirit? Here we have an example of a desperate widow and her two sons. They don't have anything. They're about to be uh, locked up and sold into slavery to pay the debts. And yet, her husband has left her something to provide the needs that she has. She's just not aware of it yet. So she goes to Elisha and she asks Elisha what to do. I would submit to you today, if you are spiritually hungry, the thing to do is to come into the house that your spiritual husband, that your spiritual father left you on this earth, which is the house of God. Bring in your empty vessel. Before you come in, ask the Lord, Lord, help me empty it of the things of the world. I don't need the things of the world in my spiritual vessel. I need to be emptied out. I need to be cleaned out. I need to come in here empty. And I just need to trust God when I come into His house that He left me that He will fill up my vessel one more time. Not with the things of the world, 
but with a pot of oil that he left. That oil, that is the oil of gladness, where he gives us gladness for our mourning. That oil that fills up our vessels where we can come in and be encouraged one more time and remember that the Lord hasn't left me empty. The Lord hasn't left me on this earth to be locked up by the creditor of this world, Satan. Oh no, the Lord has brought me in again to His house one more time to be reminded that He paid my debt in full. See, I don't owe anything. And when I stand before Him someday, I will stand before Him clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't have to doubt for my eternity or doubt for my future. I just need to come in every week and be reminded one more time that my Lord paid it all before He went back to heaven and let Him fill me up again that I can go through this life one more week and be sustained on that oil that He's left, which I believe is the oil of His Spirit. It is the oil of fellowship. It is the oil of hearing the gospel preached. It's like the Good Samaritan binding up the wounds of that man that he went on purpose to find beside the side of the road and he poured oil and wine in his wounds and he bound him up and he brought him into that inn. He brought him into his house. When we enter the house of the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to bring in an empty vessel. We need to come hungry. We need to come with the world poured out, ready to be filled up with the things of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe when we do that, you know what? Every single vessel in this story was full. Did you notice that? The oil didn't run out of that little pot until they were all full. And then Elisha says, take that oil and sell it, pay your debt. Don't you get a sense when you hear the gospel preached, when you hear the singing, we sang so many songs this morning about the blood dripping from the cross, nothing but the blood. Oh, I get a vision one more time. I could just close my eyes and we're singing and I, I have no idea what the Lord looked like. But I see him hanging there on the cross bleeding for me and I'm reminded. I'm reminded when I die. <laughs> hey, the creditor of the world ain't coming for me. What did we sing this morning? Did he sent down angels from the throne of God and they bore him up on their pinions to his everlasting home? Are you not reminded when we sing? Are you not reminded when you come in among the fellow saints and you see the love in their eyes and you hear the kindness in their voices? I'm going to be with you all someday over there. I get filled up again. And I'm reminded that my debt is paid. I don't owe a thing. He took care of it. I'm coming in his house to experience that. Now I know I'll have to leave his house in a little while. And I'll go back out in the world and I'll walk again. But you know what? I won't leave here with a full vessel. <laughs> because I'm in the house of the prophet this morning. I'm gathered together with the bride of Christ, the widow. I'm gathered together with the children of God, the sons. There's two or three or more. There's a bunch of us. And the Lord fills up those vessels one more time, doesn't he? Now, the brother also told us, though, in the introduction that we should be careful that it's a blessing to be hungry for the things of the Lord. But if we're already full of the things of the world, then we may not value the things of the Lord like we ought. You know, if, if I come into the house of God and again, you know, y'all know I love secular music, so I'm not trying to throw off in secular music, movies, anything like that. But if I come into the house of the God and, you know, just the beat of the world is booming in my head, boop, 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 boop. You know, the simple songs of Zion may not grab my attention like they ought to. <laughs> you know, if I come into the house of God and 
I'm singing or I close my eyes in prayer and my mind is full of images from the world. I might not get that blessed vision of my Lord and Savior on the cross like I ought to. You follow me? That's why Isaiah says when we come up to Zion, we shake off the dust of the world. We put on our beautiful garments. We let those things drift from our mind and drift from our memory. And we ask the Lord to empty us out so we can come in here and be filled. Because if we're filled with the things of the world, we may experience a very different outcome. If you turn in the same chapter over to the 38th verse, we read about what happens if you're eating from, not from the vessels that are filled with the Spirit, with the oil that the Lord has left us, but if you're eating from a vessel that's full of the world. And here we have Elisha again, we, the, the same one we just read about, that prophet. And, and in verse 1 of, uh, excuse me, in the first part of verse 38, Elisha came again to Gilgal. This is where the prophets gathered. And there was a dearth in the land. I mean, there was a famine. And by the way, uh, for the child of God wandering through this world as a stranger and pilgrim here, there's always a famine. You can be in the land of plenty. And sometimes in the land of plenty, there's especially a famine. I'm talking about a famine for the things of God. A famine for the word of God. There's always a famine out there in the world. But you come to where the prophets are gathered together, where the children of God are, where the bride of Christ is, and we ought to be able to find something to sustain us. And so Elisha comes here. There's a dearth out in the land, but he's here gathering with the prophets. And the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, and he said unto his servant, Set on the great pot and seethe pottages, pottage for the sons of the prophets. In other words, now, some years have passed here. How do we know that? Well, in the midst of this, there's an account of the, the woman of Shunem and how the Lord gave her a child and he grew up and he died. And then, Eli, and then the Lord uses Elisha to bring him back to life. So if this is chronologically written, some years have passed because there's been long enough for a child to be born to a childless couple and grow up and die and come back to life. So Elisha's covered some ground during this time. Do you think people have heard about the miracle of this widow and her pots and the Lord filling them up? And, and saving them in these years that have gone by? I, I would think so. And certainly these sons of the prophets would know something about it. Here's Elisha. He's been traveling around. We don't know what all else he's done, but he certainly preached. He's probably worked other miracles maybe. The Lord's used him in a mighty way. So when Elisha says, take the pot and go put it on the fire, the Lord's going to feed us. You know what the attitude should be for these folks is, hey, I wonder what God's got cooking today. Because <laughs> we know Elisha's already, uh, by the power of God, worked mighty miracles. Okay, so there's a dearth in the land and there's nothing to eat. But this is Elisha. <laughs> I mean, the Lord uses him to just bring people back to life. The Lord uses him to fill up empty pots out of a little tiny vessel. The Lord can do anything if he chooses to do so when this guy's around. If this guy says, get the pot out and put it on the fire, brothers and sisters, hey, we need to just build a fire and get the pot, clean it out and stick it on there and just, and, and just sit there and watch. Because something's fixing to happen. But some of these uh, prophets must have forgotten or they didn't have a good vision of what God could do when the children of God gather together because they do something different. They put the pot on there, but in verse 39... One went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine. A wild vine. If you shake my hand after service today, 
If you look closely, you'll see some scratches on my hands that came from, guess what? Wild vines from working out in the woods a little bit yesterday. Wild vines are not good, okay? You want to get something good to eat, yeah, go get up to your tomato vine out in your garden, okay? Your green bean vines, okay? Uh, your grapes, something like that. that that's, that's a good vine. That's a tame vine that's got some good things on it. What's a wild vine got? Thorns, stickers, maybe poison, okay? Getting something off a wild vine is, is not a good idea. You little children understand that, right? Unless you've been highly trained in the art of foraging, do not go out in the woods and just pick stuff up off the ground and eat it. Bad things can happen. And that's what happens here. He goes out, he finds a wild vine, and he gathered thereof wild gourds his lap full. And he came and shred them into the pot of pottage, for they knew them not. Uh-oh. You don't eat stuff when you don't know what it is. Okay? <laughs> That's part of the culture of food. McNeil alluded to that in the introduction. Different cultures have different ways of eating. You know why we have so many cultural traditions around food? Partly so we don't eat the wrong thing. Okay? You know, we, we all know that uh, uh, we raise our kids hopefully to eat Brussels sprouts and tomatoes and stuff like that because it's good for them whether they like it or not. But, but we don't encourage them, oh, just go out in the woods and just find something that looks good and just eat all you want, honey. Now, you might be able to do that in the new heaven and the new earth, but we ain't there yet. And it would be a bad idea. These brothers go out there and get a wild gourd off a wild vine and they just go over and start shredding it in the pot. They don't even know what it is. And you know what happens when you do crazy stuff like that. And they poured out for the men to eat. And it came to pass as they were eating of the pottage, they cried out and said, Oh, thou man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat thereof. Now, unfortunately, they didn't have the discernment to know that it was a bad idea to put a wild gourd in the pot. But they did have the discernment to know that when they tasted it, it was bad stuff. Now, sometimes we children of God are like that. I've been like that. You might have too. Sometimes I don't have the good sense to know that I shouldn't just go out to Walmart or go on Amazon and just order any book or any movie or any song that pops up. But you know what? I've just been dumb enough. Sometimes I've done it. Everybody says, hey, you got to see this movie, man. you got to see it. So I, I go on Netflix or whatever, and I order it up, and I watch about five minutes of it, and I'm like, ugh. See, I didn't have enough sense to know that I better not go get the wild vine. I might need to check it out first. I just go ahead and put it in the pot and take a bite. But thank God I had enough of the Spirit to know that it tasted bad once I got it. Right? And I said, hey, ooh. Don't back off. So, hey, there's a grace of God in this. If you've got things in your life that don't need to be there, maybe you've gone out and picked something off a wild vine, spiritually speaking now, and you took a bite. Maybe it's a song, it's a movie, it's an attitude, it's a book, it's a whatever, and you, and, and you taste it and the Spirit of God says, uh-uh. You know what you need to do? You need to pour out that pot. You need to the Lord fill it up with something. You need to empty it out. You need to come in the house of God. You need to let it get filled up with the Spirit. Okay? Remember we read about the widow over there? When Elisha told her what to do, what did she do? She went home. She got some vessels. She got some empty vessels. She brought them into the prophet's house. She shut the door. Two or three gathered together. The Lord began to bless it. They began to pour it out. And every vessel was filled up. That's how it ought to work. These brothers ought to have just got around that pot and said, Hey, I wonder what God's got for us today. 
Instead, they'd go out there in the field, out in the wilderness, out in the world. They get a wild vine. They don't even know what it is. They shred it off. It's poison. Thank God for the grace of God that at least when they tasted it, they knew it was bad. You know what that tells me? If I taste something bad in my life by the grace of God, I can pour it out. I can ask God to purify me. I can ask God to clean me up. And you know what? The Lord is so merciful that He does that. Because what we see here is, is they said they could not eat thereof. They cried out. In verse 41, then He said, Elisha, then bring meal. And He cast it in the pot. And He said, pour out for the people that they may eat. And there was no harm in the pot. He put in meal. He put in something good. Something that we know is good for you. So when we talk about hungering and thirsting after righteousness, we want to remember that hunger reminds me that I'm empty. Right? First of all, you know, somebody goes and eats some huge meal, you know, let's say they fill up on beans and cornbread. All right? You could come along with the most delectable, you know, expensive piece of you know steak on the planet cooked to perfection and are they going to have a great desire for that there might be one part of them that says oh yeah i like that but it's going to be it's going to be really hard to eat that if you just ate two pounds of beans and cornbread nate on a monday night monday night is beans and cornbread night at our house um you're not going to really have a great hunger for some delectable thing, you know, when you just when you're full. You could be full of the most common coarse thing out there. And the most delectable thing will mean very little to you. I believe the reason that the Lord uses a lot of these natural things to teach us spiritual things is cuz it's something we can understand. You know, I don't understand every aspect of the holiness of God. In fact, in my human flesh, I probably understand very little, actually. I mean, I understand what of His grace that He's taught me to understand and helped me understand through the Scripture, but we don't, we don't get the whole picture here on earth. We see through a glass darkly. You know, there are things that are veiled, but I can understand hunger, and you can understand hunger. If you don't understand hunger, just don't eat anything for the next couple days. And I promise you, you will have a Great understanding for hunger. <laughs> it will, food will become the most important thing on the planet to you very quickly. One of the kids was saying to me one day they didn't care for something. I said, look, just don't eat for the next 24 hours. And that will be the best looking thing you ever heard of. <laughs> Come back to the refrigerator and look at it a day from now when you haven't tasted food. And you, hey, you'll fight people for it. It's really like that. But, you know, if we go out into the field of this world, out in this world that we are sojourning in, where we are strangers, where we are pilgrims, and, you know, I'm a stranger, I'm a pilgrim out there, there's dearth in the land, there's some famine, and I, and I go out and I get the wild vine, it might be coarse, it might not really be all that good tasting, it may not be delectable, but I'm hungry, so I just make a pit stop at the first, you know, uh, you know joint I come to, spiritually speaking here now, and I just grab something, I start shoving it in, you know, and it doesn't taste all that good. But I'm like, well, I'm just hungry. I don't care. You know, I just shovel it in. I just fill up. Then I, then I come in on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night, you know, and Brother Tim, Brother Luke, you know, one of these other brothers, you know, it's offering delectable things that really are 
the treasure of the universe, the word of God. But I'm just so full of the coarse things of the world that, you know, I don't have much hunger for. It really does work that way. You know. The word of God is one of those things that we need over and over and over, just like we need natural food. Right. How often do most of us get hungry? Okay, young teenagers with a growth spurt going on aside. Okay, the rest of us normal people, because I know how often they get hungry. You know, Matt Neal was had his mind on spiritual food today. Yeah, you know, I found out a little something the other day. You know, he and Anna Rosa moved off to college. She called Amy and she said, "Yeah, Matt Neal came to me tonight in my dorm room looking for food." He said he'd already been in the cafeteria five times today, but he needed some more food. I said, well, you know, it's a good thing I'm not that hungry. We'd have problems. My blood pressure would be even higher than it already is. You know, when you're growing, when you're young, when you're a teenager, hey, you know, you might be hungry every couple hours. You get to be a little older, a little more mature. Maybe it spreads out and you're only hungry every few hours. But most of us are reminded fairly regularly in our natural state that we need to eat regularly. And for most of us, unless you, you know, have some sort of psychological condition, you know, eating is a good thing. You look forward to it. It's, it's good, right? I think spiritual things are a lot like that. But they should be. You know, the, the things that I face in the world, the battles that I fight, ought to remind me that I need some nourishment. You know? I think maybe sometimes we reach uh, points in life where we have sort of a spiritual growth spurt, if you want to say. Sometimes those are the times when we are isolated from the things of the world. When we are in some sort of a wilderness. When we are suffering. When life is not exactly like we think it ought to be. When it's painful. When you've lost someone. When you're hurting you know, those are the times if you fast the things of the world and, and you turn to the Scripture, you can really grow. And you will find that you're hungry not just once a week for the Word of God, not just maybe once a day. You're hungry for it all the time. It's like Manuel said, we look at hunger as being a bad thing. But when it comes to spiritual things, we ought to look at hunger and say, hey, it's not all bad. It reminds me that I need to be feasting on the Word of God. It reminds me that the Lord is dealing with me, that the Lord is working on me, that the Lord is still helping me grow. You know, one of the beautiful things about food, too, and I'll get off on natural food a little bit. I'm going to get back to the Bible. And don't, don't worry, this is a rabbit trail is a lot of your enjoyment of food as you grow older, at least I found this to be true, is making food for other people. Isn't that right? I mean, you ladies, as you get older and you learn how to really cook just delicious things, I mean, it's fun to taste it yourself, right? But don't you love to cook it for other people, for your children, for your grandchildren? I know we all experience that. Y'all, y'all I, mean, I know some of y'all are kind of nodding and smiling. Isn't that true? I mean, you know, sometimes when you cook something, if you've been in the kitchen, and I like, you, you can tell them, I like to cook things sometimes. I'm not that great at it, but I do enjoy it sometimes. 
You know, if you've been in the kitchen for two or three hours cooking a certain dish, you know, your appetite for it sometimes is kind of, meh. But don't you love the idea that my family's going to sit down and eat this in a little while and to look around and see their smiles? And doesn't it do your heart good when someone says, oh, that's so good. That's the best cornbread I ever ate. That's the best peas. That's sure, right? So as you grow older and mature in the faith, okay, you still need to eat. We all have to eat. And we all need spiritual food just like we need natural food. But you should come to a point where you enjoy being able to prepare something for someone else. He said, but I'm not a preacher, Brother Neil. That's not the point. Turn with me to Titus chapter 2. I've shared this with you before, but I'll just remind you of this while you're here because I know sometimes ladies might say, well, isn't it, isn't it mainly the man's role to, to teach? Well, sure, in the church. But I'll truly hope, and I know Brother Tim is not here. I hope he would agree with this. He's the pastor. I think he would agree with this. I truly hope that the majority of teaching is not being done in the church. I mean, we should be teaching in the church. That is part of the qualification of an elder that they be apt to teach. But if this is where all the teaching is going on, we're in trouble. Because you don't spend the majority of your time here. You interact with your family, with your children, with your grandchildren in ways that I never will. I might not know some of their names, for goodness sakes. What, what I'm doing is just is, is hopefully when we come here and, and we come into the service and the Spirit moves and we're singing about the Lord and we got our vessel emptied out of the world and it gets filled up, I hope we carry it home and we spread some around. Titus chapter 2 says this, verse 1, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men, that you older brothers... Okay, I'm 47, so I don't want anybody older than me. That's aged. Be sober, grave, temperate. Why? Sound in faith, in charity, in patience. Why? Because you're an example, see? And because you've grown up in the Word, you've learned some of the Bible, you know how to act, you know how to be honest, you know how to be faithful to a spouse, you know how to do those things and accomplish those things, pass them on. Because some of the younger brothers, spiritually speaking, need to be able to eat some of that good fruit in your life. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becoming holiness, not false accusers. That's gossipers. Because that's mostly what gossip is, is false accusing, just saying a bunch of stuff. Not giving to much wine. You say, well, that goes without saying in our culture. Well, I hope so. <laughs> Maybe it bears saying again. <laughs> just because I get old doesn't give me a pass to be loose with my morals and things. It doesn't. I have known some older people who, as they got older, they're like, well, hey, I've lived. I've, you know, I've done a pretty good job. I can kind of slack in here, slack in here. You're an example to somebody. Teachers of good things. Just like you might feed your family, you older ladies, a special dish that's delicious, some good thing that maybe you've learned how to make through 40 years of cooking. You know, those of us that cooked a while, we have our own little touches, don't we? Not everybody's cornbread is exactly the same. My daughter's cornbread is not exactly like mine. It's not exactly like Amy. My biscuits are a little different. I got my own little touch. I can tell who made the biscuits when I sit down and eat by what they taste like a little bit. And the consistency is a little different. Right? Those of you that have lived in the service of the Lord for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, you've learned a few things. You, we need to make sure we pass them on. Good things that the people coming behind us can, can eat and live on. 
that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. You know what's kind of implicit in that, whether you think about it or not. Maybe I just need to say it in our culture. I know, I know we're all family here and we love each other and we're Christians. I'll, I trust we all are. You know what, what Paul didn't have to say back then was uh, to teach the young women that having a husband and having, a, and having children is a good thing. He just assumed that they would understand that it is. And so he says, teach them to love their husbands. Nowadays, we might say, you know, teach them to love their husband and love the idea of having one. (laughs) Teach them to love their children and to love the idea of having children if God blesses them with that ability. To be discreet, chaste, keepers at home. That's the guard of the home. You know what? Those prophets sitting around that fire with that pot, you know, some some old boys over there shaving off wild gourds in that pot. They needed a keeper around that fire. (laughs) They needed someone to say, hey, (laughs) We can't eat that. <laughs> um, ladies, that's, that's one of your roles. Whether, you aged ladies, with, whether you like it or not, accept it or not, approve of it or not, it's just one of your roles is to be the keeper. That's the guard. You know, to, to help remind your husband, as my wife has done for me many times, uh, you know what? Uh, that's, did you think about that? You know, that, and you men should listen. You know, if she's being meek and humble and entreating you, listen to her. She may have some intuition about something that, you know what, that just spiritually, that, that doesn't just quite taste right. Maybe we all look at that again. Maybe we all think about that. That's one of your roles. Good. Now, goodness is fruit of the Spirit. True spiritual goodness is fruit of the Spirit. You may say, well, the Bible says no man is good. Psalm 14, Psalm 53, Romans 3, there's none good. They've all you know, turned aside. They've all together begun to filthy. But Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 says that goodness is fruit of the Spirit. So once the Spirit is there, there's the potential and there should be good fruit, good behavior, obedient to their own husbands, that the Word of God be not blasphemed. In other words, that things are being done in keeping with the Word of God, with the way God has designed things to be. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works and doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. That's a lot of words I know, okay? And you can preach about it all day, but here's at least part of what it means. Is that as a child of God, I try to live my life in such a way that when people come along behind me and they taste the fruit I'm producing, it's not wild vine, wild gourd fruit. It's good. That they can't look at me and say, yep, see, I told you. There goes one of those hypocrites. That church is full of them. <laughs> I know some people say that anyway. <laughs> but, but my goal is to live for the Lord in such a way that if they say that, they're just wrong. Right? People can say a lot of things about you. If, if, if they're speaking the truth, that's one thing. If they're just throwing sand at the kingdom of God, that's another thing. But that the Lord would help us to live our lives in such a way that when people taste the fruit that we produce, when people taste our spiritual cornbread or our peas or whatever spiritually you got in the pot there that the Lord's given you, that it's something good. That it's something good. And that we would be hungry spiritually 
hungry for those good things. So think back with me for just a moment. Wrapping up here, 2 Kings chapter 4. The way things ought to be. You have the bride of Christ. You have the children of God represented here by a certain woman who's a wife of the prophet and her sons. They come to Elisha for help. He says, go lock yourself up in the house that your husband gave you. Take out the pot of oil, that little small pot that your husband gave you. Bring in your empty vessels. Let's let the Lord fill them up and it will provide all your needs. It will it will pay, in this case, it paid the creditors. What it does today in the Lord's house is it reminds us that our prophet already paid the creditors, that we got nothing held against us before God, the father, that our sins have been purged. They've been washed away. We're reminded. And he tells them in verse seven to go and live of the rest. You come in his house on a Sunday, Wednesday, whenever we meet, the saints of God meet. Empty your vessel, your spiritual vessel, of the things of the world. Let the Lord fill it up with His Spirit, with the oil of gladness, that you can, you can be a blessing to others. And when, when we leave, when we part from the children of God, when we walk out of here where we met with the bride of Christ, that we're full of good things. That we can leave and we can bind up other people's wounds because we got some oil, see? We're not like the five foolish virgins. We got nothing to light up the world, nothing to show us the way. We got some oil because we came in the house of the Lord and He filled up our pots with oil. And that oil is a light. That oil is a blessing. It sustains us. It nourishes us. It makes life easier. It helps to heal up our wounds. It's something to put on them when I get scratched in the world, when my children are scratched, when they're hurt, I can say, here's what the Lord said. We're only going to bear with this a little while and it will be over. We're strangers here. We're pilgrims here. We're moving through. I'm looking for something else. Something on the other side. It's an earnest of my inheritance while I am here. And that's the way it ought to be. And when you come back to Gilgal and when you're there and there's a dearth and there's a famine and we put on the bot, maybe you're in your home and you're bored and you're trying to find something to do. Spiritually speaking. And someone's, hey, Let's see what's in the pot. Make sure you hadn't shaved off a wild board in there. Make sure that the things that are in your pot, that are in your vessel, are things that you filled up from in the house of God. That they're things that your spiritual husband would approve of. That they're things that would taste good to him. And when we leave, we can be satisfied. And like McNeil told us, We'll hunger again. That's okay. I'll leave with this. You know, one thing a hunger is a true sign of life. I don't mean to be disrespectful, but when we have funerals for people and people bring all that food, who do they bring it for? Not the person that died, right? The people that are left, right? Their families who are hungry and had not had time to cook because they're too torn up and emotionally distressed to do it. Right? Food is for live people. <laughs> if you're hungry for the Lord today, you know what that means? You are alive in Christ. And let me tell you, when you taste something that He's given you, when you open up this blessed old book and you read it and you're comforted and you, or you come into the service of the Lord and you feel His Spirit and you sing those songs of Zion one more time and you just want to shout out, praise the Lord! Amen! Say it. <laughs> That's the life within you crying out and saying, hey, I'm been filled up. <laughs> and when you leave, you know what you can say? 
to the Lord who provides that spiritual food. You can say the same thing that my wife reminds my kids to say when they get up and leave the table. Thank you. That was a good meal. I sure enjoyed it. I thank you for your kind attention today. If there's one or more here that wanted to be united with the church.